This week on Geek Explained, Volume 3 of our podcast kicks off with our countdown of the top five comics you should read in 2020. Welcome back to Geeksplained. I'm your host, Eric Zana, and today's episode is a debut of sorts. This is the debut of Volume 3 of the Geeksplained podcast. And with all the craziness going on in the world today, the self-quarantine, uh, the lockdowns, all of that stuff, what better time is it to talk about what comics you should be reading while you are self-isolating? This is a sequel of sorts, a threequel, if you will, to our very first episode way back in the distant year of 2018, where we talked about the top five comics you should be reading that year. We've done it pretty much every year since then to kick off each volume of this podcast, and we are going to carry on in the grand tradition of talking about the top five comics that you should be reading in 2020. We also have our latest Wild Card Weekly Review, and of course, this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. Alright guys and dolls, so I've got some news for you this week. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Uh, let's kick off with our miscellaneous news. We've got news in all four categories. Uh, it doesn't happen very often, but I'm pretty excited about all the news that we are talking about today. So to kick off our miscellaneous news, we got a new character announcement for Overwatch. Uh, Blizzard announced that Echo will be coming to Overwatch in the near future. Echo, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, she was first debuted in the, I believe it was the Ash character cinematic, where uh, Ash and the rest of the Deadlock gang were trying to hijack a train and they were trying to steal some kind of cargo and were of course uh, foiled and dispatched by Jesse McCree. McCree opened up the cargo that they were trying to steal and out comes Echo. She's basically, Blizzard describes her as an ever-evolving AI. I have no idea what that means for gameplay and they didn't give us any other <laughs> uh, background on her she is she seems really cool uh she did show up in the blizzards in blizzards overwatch 2 cinematic announcement so we know that she's going to be around it's really exciting i'm glad that we're getting more omnic characters um but i would love to get more info on her just from what we saw in the overwatch 2 announcement looks like she can fly she it looks like she has some kind of like missiles she can fire though if she was a um medical uh omnic i wouldn't be surprised by that either because we literally know nothing about her so 
I'm always down for more Overwatch characters. I love playing Overwatch. I'm on the PS4, and I've been getting into the latest season of competitive, doing my ranked matches to uh, find out where I stand in that. So I'm excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what she does whenever um, whenever they drop like more info about her. And then other news and miscellaneous news, it's more video game news, we finally got some more info on the PlayStation 5, which should be hitting store shelves this holiday season if the world hasn't ended by then. So uh, we got some just kind of basic info from the main tech, the main guy kind of uh, putting things together. Um, he said, among other things, that there won't be the kind of long install times that the PS4 has suffered through, and I can attest to that. I love the idea of not having to sit for, you know, half an hour waiting for an update to finish loading. Um, backwards compatibility is also really huge for them. They're looking to have the largest backwards compatibility backwards compatibility that's a hard word for me today um catalog in the entire history of any playstation console so that's really exciting uh, it's also going to have 65 percent more storage in the ps4 which is also awesome and that they are uh, looking into not using a proprietary drive so you can upgrade the memory with like an SSD or anything like that, which is awesome. Expandable memory is huge, especially for games like Red Dead Redemption and games like that that really put a strain on your storage capacity. And then finally, um, there's really no news when it comes to release date or uh, what the console even looks like, but I'm liking that they're slowly rolling out this kind of info. You would assume that they were going to do a big grand unveiling at E3, but since E3 is not happening at this point in time as of this recording um it's cool that they're still willing to give us information as the year goes by so that's really cool jumping into comics news uh one piece that i'm really excited about uh wonder woman is getting a new creative team starting with issue 759 with writer mariko tamaki and artist mikhail janine i love Janine's art. He's so good. He's had runs uh, mostly from what I've read with him has been with Tom King, whether that's on Grayson, on his, on the main Batman run in Rebirth. Uh, his art is so, so good, and I'm really excited that he's going to be drawing Wonder Woman. Mariko Tamaki, I had to kind of re-familiarize myself with, because um, she hasn't been with uh, DC for very long. Uh, she did write the Supergirl Being Super miniseries from 2016 to 2017. Uh, she also wrote the X-23 book in 2018, and she's kind of really more known for her She-Hulk run over at Marvel Comics from 2017 through 2018. It looks really cool. They released a couple of images just to get you kind of hyped for their run. Um, at one point, it looks like she's going to be facing off with what looks like Sentinels. I know they're not Sentinels, but Wonder Woman fighting Sentinels always sounds amazing to me so i'm in i'm definitely excited about this and i'm really looking forward to seeing what this creative team brings to the book jumping into tv news we got some big casting announcements um mandalorian 
who has wrapped filming as far as we know for season two, which should be debuting in the fall. Uh, they recently announced that they have some big casting news, and that's that we finally have our live-action Ahsoka Tano, and she will be played by Rosario Dawson, which I think is a really interesting choice. Uh, Rosario Dawson has been campaigning for the role for some time so you can tell that she really wants it um there's a lot of stuff going on with rosario dawson right now though there's um a big controversy with this uh legit like i don't want to get into it but there's like uh she, she basically spark notes version is that she's in hot water with the uh, trans community for a for an alleged assault. We haven't seen uh, evidence of this yet, but they are going to court about it. Um, I have no feelings either way, just because I don't know the entire story. Um, but I am really interested to know exactly what that means for her casting, whether this was made beforehand, before these allegations came out. But Either way, I think it's an interesting choice. Rosario Dawson's a good actress, but um, I don't know how she is as a personal person. So um, we'll just have to wait and see. But I'm glad that we're getting more Ahsoka Tano, and this announcement came with the most recent uh, Clone Wars episode that reintroduced us to Ahsoka in the, uh, in the seventh season. So... The fact that she's going to be in Mandalorian, I think, is interesting. She could end up being one of those characters that kind of transcends, goes into different um, mediums when it comes to Star Wars, whether she shows up. Because Mandalorian is post-Return um, of the Jedi, pre-Force Awakens. So she would be right around the right age for Ahsoka to be, for... Um, running around at that point we do know that post return of the jedi she is running around and looking for ezra miller along with sabine wren so i'm interested to see where this places her on the timeline but we'll see we'll see what happens jumping into film news we talked about in the recent weeks how um how the coronavirus has affected a lot of films, whether it comes to their release date, their box office, whatever. Um, this past week, we got some more positive news in that films will be following kind of the the method that the uh, that the Birds of Prey film has kind of established, and that they are going to be doing uh, video on demand releases early. So I have a list here. We've got Sonic the Hedgehog. Onward, Invisible Man, Emma, The Hunt, The Gentleman, Bloodshot, and The Way Back. Other films may have or may be added to this list after I record this, but I think it's pretty cool that we're going to get to see these films. I'm interested in uh, seeing Onward. I had no interest in really seeing the film, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. Invisible Man... I've heard nothing but good things. The Gentleman, I'm really interested in as well. Um, just, it's it looks like exactly what the trailers uh, kind of put it as, and I think that's really interesting. The Hunt, one of the most controversial films of the past year, I think is an interesting idea. I have no interest in Bloodshot. Um, the Way Back, though, I am interested in. I'm a sucker for sappy sports movies, so I'm interested, especially with Ben Affleck kind of 
going through uh, a film that puts a spotlight on his own personal issues in his real life I think is really cool so I will definitely be checking these films out as well as any other films that decide to um, follow this trend and that's going to do it for this week's news we're now going to roll on into the main course the entree if you will of this podcast which is the top five comics you should be reading in 2020 It's that time of year again, and I'm really freaking excited about it. It's the time of year where I talk about the top five comics you should be reading this year. We've done this pretty much every single year that we've been around from our very first episode to right around a year ago when we did the top five comics you should read for 2019. And I love recommending comics. I love talking to people about comics that I'm reading. Um, I get to do that a little bit when it comes to our comics countdown, which we will, of course, get to later on in this episode. But this is the episode that I really get to just kind of gush about the top five comics that I'm currently reading and the ones that I think you should absolutely have on your pull list. Um, I will be completely candid with you. It was very hard to put this list together because there are a lot of great comics uh, on the shelves right now. So I will have honorable mentions a little bit later on uh, down the line, but let's just go ahead and dive into it. I'll be talking about, in kind of the same way that we do for the Comics Countdown, um, I'll be giving the book's title, its creative team, a brief synopsis of the beginning of each run, as well as why I love the book and why I think you should be checking it out. So at number five, we have DC Comics Batman. This is currently written by James Tynan IV with art by uh, George Jimenez as well as others such as Tony S. Daniel. Uh, George Jimenez is the one who's currently on the book. The most recent issue also had Raphael Albuquerque on art and I freaking loved it. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan. Uh, Raphael Albuquerque mark and I um, I've been really digging uh, Jimenez's art recently as well I got kind of uh, checked into him first with the uh, Superman Rebirth run and then later on with the Scott Snyder uh, Justice League run and I'm glad that he's getting to dive back into Gotham with this his art style is just incredible so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis of the current run of Batman it's a new day in Gotham City, but not the same old Batman. With Bane vanquished and one of his longtime allies gone, Batman has to start picking up the pieces and stepping up his game. Batman has a new plan for Gotham City, but he's not the only one. Deathstroke has returned as well, under a mysterious new contract that could change everything. You can probably hear our uh, neighbor's dog is also very excited about Batman. But what I love about this book is that James Tynan coming into this book had big shoes to fill. Regardless of how you feel about Tom King as a writer, how you feel about his um, personal perspective that he brings to the comics that he writes, he I don't think anyone can argue that he made some big status quo changes 
to Batman and that his run is something that will be remembered regardless of whether you remember it fondly or negatively people are going to remember his run and he really did put his stamp on Batman and so coming into that is always tough it was the same conversation that a lot of people were having at the beginning of his run when he had to step into the shoes of Scott Snyder who was leaving uh, the Batman book following the end of the New 52 and the beginning of the Rebirth run and so James Tynan is a studied Batman writer he's written uh, some of my favorite Batman books including the Rebirth Detective Comics run he also wrote the I would say one of the arguably best Batman stories in the last 10 years, which was Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, <laughs> so he's he knows his stuff. He knows Gotham. He knows the Bat family. And I think he is a steady hand to bring in after a lot of uncertainty when it comes to the Batman book. And I feel like he's been doing a really good job. The book ha also has... Uh, definite influence and vibes from Arkham Origins, one of my favorite games in the Arkham City, a heavily underrated game, in fact, in the idea that Batman basically has to go up against an entire team of assassins while Gotham City is essentially under reconstruction following the City of Bane arc. And I love Deathstroke as a character, especially when you put him up against Batman. Um, the fact that they're so similar and yet so very different in a lot of ways really brings you in when it comes to any time that they're interacting. Um, it's also really interesting because James Tynan has brought in a new villain called the Designer, who is... Just as ridiculous as he sounds, his costume is like Craven the Hunter meets um, Dark Knight Rises Bane, and I am here for it. He's constructed all of these grand designs and all of these traps and plans that are ultimately um, designed to bring Batman down and bring the city under his control. We also get a great little... Um, look into the past of some of Batman's most high-profile villains, the fact that they had, like, a conspiracy back in the early days. We get to see um, Joker, Penguin, Riddler, and Catwoman kind of all come together around, like, the Long Halloween era, which is where they've got all their costumes from in these flashbacks, where they were essentially, like, enticed by the designer to rule Gotham. And then, I won't spoil it, but... Some things went wrong, and now they are, this group is ultimately paying for their sins, and Gotham and Batman is kind of caught in the middle. So it's a really intriguing story. Lots of mysteries abound. It also has not just uh, a great story right now, but it's got a great story on the horizon because they've already uh, sent out solicitations and previews for Joker War, which is going to be the next arc after this one for the James Tynan book. I'm super stoked. The Joker War premise is really cool that this is kind of designed to be Joker's last stand against Batman in kind of the same way that Endgame was. And I really appreciated Endgame for what it was both at the time and now looking back on it. And I'm really excited to see what Tynan brings to it 
uh, when he tells his quote-unquote last Joker story. So that is Batman. I really, really enjoy it. Uh, The next issue, uh, well, actually, let me start off with his run starts with issue number 86, and you can start from there and start going forward. The next issue that comes out is issue number 92 that comes out on April 1st. So really great book, big fan of it, and I absolutely can't recommend it enough. Number four, we jump over to the Marvel side with Hawkeye Freefall. This is written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Otto Schmidt, and let's jump into the synopsis. When a mysterious and ruthless new Ronin starts tearing a destructive path through the city, suspicion immediately falls on Hawkeye. But Clint has more to worry about than who's wearing his old costume. After a clash with the Hood ends badly, Hawkeye gives himself a new mission that will place him in the crosshairs of one of New York's most dangerous villains. So, this just edged out Batman because of how freaking fun this book is and the creative team behind it i'm a big fan of james tynan i'm a big fan of george jimenez and all of the artists who work on his run but matthew rosenberg has such a great voice for clint i got the first taste of him writing clint with the tales of suspense it was basically a buddy cop uh, miniseries between hawkeye and winter soldier it is fantastic if you haven't read it absolutely go back and read it and then Otto Schmidt's art is so freaking cool I got acquainted with him during the Green Arrow New 50 or no the Green Arrow Rebirth run and his art is so dynamic it's so eclectic it's unlike really anything else that anybody draws right now and he's so good at it um Rosenberg and Hawkeye just in general is a match made in heaven. Rosenberg is very good at telling grounded stories with relatable characters, and he does a great job in making Hawkeye both relatable and an underdog, so you want to root for him, but also making him just the worst. (laughs) Hawkeye is one of the most relatable, especially, I would say, since the Matt Fraction run. Hawkeye is one of the most relatable superheroes in all of Marvel Comics, and that's due to the fact that sometimes he's just a bad person. He makes a lot of the same uh, choices and mistakes that we would in any given superhero situation because at the end of the day regardless of whether he's you know this skilled archer this member of the avengers a super secret agent and spy he's just a guy who makes choices like just a regular guy would and that ends up pissing people off alienating people um all over the place and it's a great great story watching him uh kind of go through this story his perspective is also really really cool because you get to see through both his dialogue as well as rosenberg's um uh narration that hawkeye really is one of a kind in the marvel universe because just in the same way that it's always weird when you have this superpowered threat going up against the Justice League and Batman is there. Hawkeye kind of fulfills that same uh, role, except he's not super smart. He's not super rich. He has to pay for all of his own stuff. He usually shows up to his um, 
his battles covered in bandages from the last fight they had and he really is kind of just a man walking amongst gods and even with characters who aren't super powered we get some scenes with him and um Winter Soldier and Falcon. Those are characters who, even though they're a little bit more street level, they're still technically a tier above him. And he reacts and interacts with them in that way. There's a great scene with him and Spider-Man where he looks at Spider-Man and he's like, yeah, you, like, you're an underdog and everything, but at the same time, you could, like, break me in half if you wanted to. And it's just really cool watching his perspective on things, on different characters, on the world, on New York, in the same way that really made me fall in love with Hawkeye during the Fraction run, the Fraction and Aja run, which I think is one of the best comic runs in the last 20 years regardless of dc marvel whatever and i really think that this book is striking on the same chord um i'm sad because it's a limited series but hopefully with the great uh upswell of support for him we are going to see more of this and more of rosenberg with hawkeye because even though this is a limited series even though it is uh, something that's only is kind of finite in the same way that his run with Hawkeye and the Winter Soldier were for Tales of Suspense. He says so much in the short time that he's given, and that includes, you know, having an underdog story, having an organized crime story, having a superhero team up story, and having a mystery. Like, there is a genuine mystery for the first couple issues of who is Ronan? Who is Ronan? How does he relate to Hawkeye and the rest of the superhero community? And once that, once he's revealed, once Ronan is revealed his identity, um, it brings in a whole new world of problems that we now have to, as readers, um, kind of come to terms with. And it makes every single issue still feel, while still feeling grounded, escalate the problems and the challenges that face our heroes. So it is just a fantastic book all around, and I'm really, really excited for the future of this character under uh rosenberg and schmidt now it is a limited series there's only six issues but um the next issue is going to be issue number five and that's going to come out on april 15th so you've got plenty of time to pick up the first four issues just in time to read the final two really great book cannot recommend it enough now when it comes to number three number three is kind of a uh, a double feature it's a heavy hitter uh, one that I didn't think was on the list when I put this list together when I was trying to figure out what are the top five books that I really want to talk about I had a list of probably like 10 or 11 and as I went through like checking things off the list scratching things out this book kept coming back to me every single time I'd, I would count it out it would come back and I'd be like no but it is really great and uh, my number three is Deceased Unkillables with an asterisk on it um, I'm going to explain my asterisk in a second but it is written by Tom Taylor with art by Carl Mostert it is another limited series however Ever, my asterisk is that Deceased is going to continue on once this uh, miniseries wraps up. And so this is in, like how I said it was a double feature, this is 
combining both the current miniseries, the three-issue miniseries Deceased Unkillables, with the sequel series Deceased Dead Planet, which will be coming out in June. Uh, that is going to be also written by Tom Taylor with art by Trevor Harrison returning from the first Deceased book. So let's jump into the synopsis and then I'll tell you about why I love this book. The blockbuster DC series returns to answer this question. What did the villains do when the heroes failed and the world ended? Led by Red Hood and Deathstroke, DC's hardest villains and antiheroes fight with no mercy to save the only commodity left on a dying planet of the undead, life. So, Deceased really represents the kind of comic book phenomenon that we talk about that we wish certain comics would be, and that there were no expectations for Deceased. I know from my personal view on it, I was like, ah, Marvel Zombies in the DC Universe, it's whatever. But as each issue came out, I found I found myself getting more and more engrossed in the story, more invested in the characters, to by the end of Deceased, it was one of my favorite books of the year. It was incredible. Taking a familiar story, really kind of a cliche story, and inserting new life into it with the DC universe. And at the end of that book, it left kind of an open-ended ending where other stories could come. And I'm so glad that we're getting not just this supplementary story, which is Deceased Unkillables, but also a full-blown sequel coming in June called DC Dead Planet. Um, the book is a phenomenon in itself. It's it's just every single issue that comes out is surprising. Every single issue. I was even not um, expecting to love Unkillables as much as I do. Every issue. There's only been two issues that have come out so far. But it's so good in the way that it takes the events of the first Deceased book and puts them in a different perspective. We talked about point of view, perspective in the previous entry. But this one, having it be the more grounded characters the book really is kind of led by um jason todd cassandra kane jim gordon and deathstroke those are kind of our four main characters and you see in the first trio jason cassandra and gordon that they are essentially reacting to everything happening in the first deceased book as it's happening but by the pretty much the end of the first book uh we've caught up to the events of Deceased. So these last two issues now happen in between the, f the first and second story. And so we are reaching uncharted territory, and I really love seeing the three of them react to everything. They don't know what's going on. They're reacting to stuff after the fact, and then they find themselves holed up in this orphanage with all of these kids who are surrounded by the undead. It's very um, Walking Dead, like the prison uh, arc, which I thought was one of the best arcs in the entire show, and having that kind of also be paired up with Deathstroke, who is, in essence, kind of the first uh, protagonist introduced in the story and gets brought onto this all-villain team of characters who seemingly can't die or aren't affected by the um, anti-life equation that has spread throughout the population of the of the earth um, is really interesting like what are these characters doing what is the plan they're all brought together by vandal savage and it's just a 
really bad idea put in kind of a um, a confined space. So it's really compelling. It's really interesting. And the idea that they're able to uh, compound on this worst-case scenario uh, story in the DC Universe and bring to it a new perspective, a new way of looking at things. Because in the first DC story, it was really all about the Justice League. What were they doing? How were they reacting to this? Watching them kind of get beat down one by one as they were all essentially wiped out. And... While the story of this really is what happens to the villains and what happens to the anti-heroes, the smaller scale characters, the next story, Dead Planet, is going to involve what happens when they go back. Now, Dead Planet is basically taking place five years later after the events of Deceased, and so this is going to be our new Justice League featuring Damian Wayne as Robin, John Kent as Superman, Cassie Sandsmark as Wonder Woman, among others, um, going back five years later to the world that they left behind and all the things that are going to happen out of that. I love that premise. I love the story of... Deceased, and I think it's absolutely one that you should be picking up, especially in the way that it kind of subverts the cliched zombie story that I think all of us are used to at this point, and it really brings a new flavor to it and makes it feel fresh. So like I said, the first two issues have come out already, and the conclusion will be coming out on the 15th of April, so plenty of time to pick up the first two issues. They're great. And then Dead Planet number one will be releasing on June 10th, so if you haven't read the first DC story, if you haven't read Unkillables yet, educate yourself. Go read these books, and then you'll be able to get yourself all caught up for June. So that is number three. And number two, this is a book that I legitimately came into at the very tail end of the decade. This book had been coming out for, I think, at least a year by the time that I got to it. But it is so good. We talk, I talked about this a little bit um, near the end of uh, last year. It made it onto my list of books, and it is a book that I think that you really should be checking out, especially if you uh, love this character and you haven't really gotten into the comics of this character recently, and that's Daredevil. Daredevil, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Cicchetto, Lalit Sharma, and George Fornes, is absolutely the best Marvel comic currently going on right now. Bar none, putting my, or, uh, putting my stamp of approval on it, placing my flag into the, uh, into the earth here, this is the best Marvel comic that's going on right now. It's just, it's so good. Uh, let's jump into the synopsis and then I'll talk more about the book. Matt Murdock has clawed his way through physical therapy, but his near-death experience that nearly left him crippled has left its mark on him. Reacquainted with pain and fear, the devil is back in Hell's Kitchen, but is the man who returned to the rooftops the same man who fell off them? Now, this book really is Daredevil at his best, and what I mean by that is that this is really the story of Matt Murdock. At the heart of all the swashbuckling adventure, of the street-level crime, of the um, superheroic antics, Daredevil is a story about Matt Murdock. 
And just as much, this book is about Matt Murdock and Wilson Fisk. If you love the Daredevil TV show like I do, if you think that's the best Daredevil has ever been, read this book. This book takes a lot of cues from that story, but at the same time, it puts its own stamp on it and really makes it a story that you can't predict. This is a story that really showcases Daredevil and Matt Murdock at his best and his worst. And I think it's a pretty well-known fact at this point that Daredevil really is at his best when Matt Murdock is at his worst. Stories like uh, Born Again, stories like Man Without Fear, those are stories that really put Matt Murdock through the ringer and really test him to show just how good of a man and as good of a superhero as he is in that same um in that same breath wilson fisk is our second protagonist here uh he is of course the antagonist to daredevil but this book puts as much a spotlight on wilson fisk as matt murdoch and if again you were a fan of uh vincent d'onofrio's take on Wilson Fisk in the Daredevil TV show, you will absolutely love the treatment of Wilson Fisk here. Here, he is the mayor of New York and is realizing that, yeah, he's the kingpin of a city, but that doesn't mean anything when it comes to the greater U.S. or the world. So we get to see him rising through the ranks once again in the um, criminal hierarchy when it comes to more national and global crime, and it shows just how small the world is when it comes to Hell's Kitchen and the, um, the war going on between Matt Murdock and Wilson Fisk. And really, this all comes down to um, Chip Zdarsky. Chip Zdarsky really is the golden goose for Marvel right now. And he has been knocking out just home run after home run after home run. Every single book that he touches, he makes better just by being on the book. And that really comes down to his perspective, his writing, his voice for each character, making every character feel distinct and different, while making a real through line in the themes that he brings to each character. Whether he's writing Spider-Man, whether he's writing Star-Lord, whether he's writing Daredevil, all of these characters are underdogs who have to overcome their own um, past, their own backgrounds, their own demons to triumph at the end of the day, regardless of who they're um, fighting against and it's so great the voice that Zadarsky brings to Matt the voice that Zadarsky brings to Fisk and really everyone in their supporting cast is so so well thought out and well realized um the story itself the arc that starts with issue number one and has come all the way through into the double digits is really um taking the classic ideas of Daredevil and really putting them through a fresh new filter. In the same way that, again, the Netflix show, and I keep bringing it up, but I think it's a fair comparison because this really takes a lot of cues from that show, especially, I think, the third season, um, and really elevates Matt Murdock through that storytelling lens. We're taking characters who we are familiar with, characters that we have come to know and love and seen rise and fall through all the peaks and valleys of their publication history and really giving them new challenges. Wilson Fisk has faced organized crime, but he's never faced it on the scale of 
politicians and all the corrupt um, stuff that goes along with that. Wilson Fisk is now not just the head of a crime organization. He is a politician. He is a mayor. So he has to deal with the governor. He has to deal with the president. Like, it's giving new conflicts for characters who up until this point have not had to worry about those things. Daredevil has to worry about him coming back from a near-death experience and how that affects him when it comes to his superheroics. Is he as good as he was prior to this experience? What does it mean to be Daredevil? Is he even needed in Hell's Kitchen anymore? And it's just, it's great. And at the heart of it, of course, like with any great Daredevil story, it's a story of redemption. It's a story about the triumph of the human spirit, which is always at the core of Daredevil in any medium, whether we're talking film, TV, comic books, whatever, this is really the story about one man trying to be the best that he can in a worst-case scenario. And it's just, it's so good, it's firing on all cylinders at all times, and it is a story that absolutely deserves to be read. So, um, like I said, I would definitely start with issue one and read their way through. Uh, the first two volumes, I believe, are available. The third one should be coming out in the next month or so. Uh, so I caught up in my way. I caught up with the first two volumes and then picked up the back issues uh, after those volumes to get me caught up to where I'm at. And the next issue for this book is uh, issue number 20 on April 1st. It is the uh, second part of the big arc that kind of brings everything together, and it absolutely is worth your time. You should definitely be checking it out. Before we get to the number one pick, the one that I think is the best in the top of the really tops the bill for me let's talk about some honorable mentions uh first off batman superman such a great book such a fun book it's written by joshua williamson and it is it is just fantastic it is everything that you expect for batman superman storytelling the two of them teaming up uh it's had art from david marquez and it's currently be drawn by is currently being drawn by Nick Darrington, two of my favorite artists. And it's so good seeing the two of them team up. Some of the best Superman stories involve him teaming up with Batman, just as some of the best Batman stories involve him looking to Superman. And it's so cool watching them team up. Um, the first arc, I will say, is a little convoluted if you're not familiar with all of the stuff going into it. But this current arc that they just kicked off with Nick Darrington is exactly what you expect a Batman-Superman story to be involving villains from both of their rogues gallery. In this one, it's specifically involving Ra's al Ghul and Zod, a pairing that we don't really ever see. So it's a really exciting book, and I definitely think you should pick it up. Uh, next up on the honorable mentions is Thor. This is being written by Donny Cates with Nick Klein. As you can tell from the uh, from last year, Thor and Batman essentially switched spots on their on the main list and the honorable mentions list, and that really comes down to this book still kind of being in a, in its infancy. Uh, Donny Cates took up the mantle of Thor from Jason Aaron, who had one of the greatest comic book runs with the character of all time. And just like James Tynan on Batman, he has big shoes to fill. And I think his story of having um, this concept called the Black Winter, which is supposed to end all life, coming to 
Earth and coming to Asgard and putting up in between it Thor and Galactus as its last line of defense is a really cool story that we haven't really seen before. The Nick Klein art is also fantastic. Um, I'm a little... Um, I'm kind of uh, not super into the redesign for Thor. I liked the fact that he was, you know, missing an arm, missing an eye. Uh, he's got the beard, and this really kind of resets all that, which I guess you kind of have to with a new, um, with a new creative team. But the book's been really good so far, and I've been really enjoying it. And it, you know, time will tell on whether it is going to reach the heights of Jason Aaron's run. But so far been pretty good next up we have x-men written by jonathan hickman with art by lanil francis Yu. um this book has been fantastic it is classic jonathan hickman where it is a slow burn for a little bit but it's starting to ramp up and i really really enjoy it really honestly you could probably pick up any of the dawn of x book you know actually i'm going to say you should either be picking up these these three books any one of these three books uh x-men okay four books x-men um marauders excalibur or wolverine any of those four books you can absolutely pick up the other books i really i'm not i'm not really here for either way um their quality is their quality varies and i think um the ones that are really like helmed with hickman's uh vision in mind are really the ones that are worth picking up i chose x-men just because it's the main flagship book of x-men's or of uh, hickman's dawn of x line of x-men books because it involves all of my favorite characters the summers family and wolverine um with guest appearances by the other uh rotating rogues gallery of the x-men it's a great book uh really like i said you could pick up any of the x-men books right now and you will find a good story um i would definitely pick up hox uh house of x slash power of 10 if you want to get into this run it's also a great story that really redefines the x-men and this book really piggybacks off that to tell new fresh stories with characters that um, have gotten a bit of a makeover in more ways than one so i would definitely pick this up next up we have strange adventures there had to be a tom king book on it on this list you know there had to be and strange adventures uh is a great book the first issue came out i think two weeks ago and i really enjoyed it it's that classic tom king story um if you're not a fan of tom king's storytelling you probably won't be a fan of this but i really enjoyed it it's taking uh two of the most underutilized and underrepresented characters in dc comics which is uh adam strange and mr terrific and putting them on a collision course with um wartime stories political intrigue and all of this really cool stuff that these characters haven't really gotten to face before uh tom king has put out some of the most controversial comics in the last couple of years uh we talked about his batman run heroes in crisis 
uh, all that stuff. But he's had some really great wins. Mr. Miracle, I think, is still one of the best comics of the past decade. And I'm hoping that this book really reaches the heights of that book. And from what I'm seeing from the first issue, it just might. Plus, it's got Mitch Jarrods and Doc Shaner on art, and the, that's a winning combination for me. And then finally, on honorable mentions, just making it onto the list is Legion of Superheroes. Um, and that's, it's, it's interesting to me. Um, I have been very vocal about my distaste for Bendis' run in DC Comics, but I will say that with the Legion of Superheroes, he has done a great job. Uh, that does come down a lot to the art. Uh, Travis Moore, uh, Ryan Sook really bring these characters to life, and it's the greatest... I think is the greatest ensemble book that's going on right now. It's arguable, but I would I think this is exactly what um, Bendis shines in when he's bringing new concepts to characters that uh, need a shakeup. Unless it's Superman, I just I can't get behind taking Clark Kent away from Superman. It just it makes me so angry. But we're not talking about that right now. <laughs> I don't have time to go into that rant. Um, I will say that, again, I really enjoyed the Legion of Superheroes book, um, and I will continue to champion this book as far as that goes. But that's it for the honorable mentions, which brings us to the number one pick, my favorite comic, the comic that I think you should absolutely be picking up this year. If you pick up no other comic, this is the one that I think well, I mean, first of all, you should be reading more comics. But if there's one comic that I think you should absolutely be picking up this year, it is Far Sector. From DC Comics, it's written by N.K. Jemison with art by Jamal Campbell. It's, just, it's for me, it's my favorite DC book going on right now. It really genuinely is. It is amazing. It's fantastic. Um, it's bringing a new perspective to a... Uh, to a character type that really needs a shakeup. Green Lantern has been kind of, I don't want to say like terrible because it hasn't been, but it's been in need of a refresh. And I think if you pair this with Grant Morrison's Hal Jordan Green Lantern book, I think it's a great one-two punch that really um, redefines Green Lantern, especially in the modern age. And this book specifically introduces a brand new Green Lantern who is quickly becoming one of my favorites. So let's jump into the synopsis, and then I'll talk about the book a little bit more. For the past six months, newly chosen Green Lantern sojourner Joe Mullane has been protecting the city enduring, a massive metropolis of 20 billion people. The city has maintained peace for over 500 years by stripping its citizens of their ability to feel. As a result, violent crime is virtually unheard of, and murder is non-existent. But that's about to change. So this book is so fun. It's a great book. First of all, I mean, N.K. Jemisin, who is primarily a uh, novelist, has brought her sensibilities to the book, which uh, might be, it. it's either going to be your cup of tea or it's not. Um, for me, I read a lot of books growing up, so I was immediately in on her style of world building, which involves a lot of exposition in the first book, uh, or in the first issue. But 
If you are not a fan of exposition, it kind of moves past that after the first issue, and the ball gets rolling very quickly. And Jamal Campbell's art is gorgeous. I was not familiar with his art either when I jumped onto the book, but oh my god. This man knows how to knows how to draw draw some comics, and it's so cool. Like Green Lantern as a whole, I think sometimes gets pigeonholed a lot into you know, oh, he's the guy who makes stuff, and he's um, he's weak to yellow, and he's you know fight you know when everyone's fighting these massive cosmic threats, he makes. Uh, a punching glove, or he makes a tractor, and it's like, there's more to him than that, and the fact is that Green Lantern, at his core, is a space cop, and I think that when utilized correctly, space cop stories can be really compelling, and I think this book does it really well, by really pairing back Green Lantern and really making this ultimately a detective noir story. Uh, Joe is one of the most, I think, one of the most entertaining uh, Green Lanterns in the entire catalog of human Green Lanterns, and really bringing her and dropping her into this uh, detective noir story that has these modern trappings really benefits her as a character. She's very no-nonsense, while at the same time... Um, she she has a mouth on her and she's sassy and she's just so fun as a main character that you get invested in her very quickly even though you have to take in a lot like they're still building up her character throughout these first few issues but you get invested in her very quickly you have to get used to the world that they're in the city enduring i think is an incredible concept and a great backdrop of a green lantern story you're dropping someone who is who requires willpower a an emotion on the emotional spectrum to guard and protect a city that has taken emotion out and it's it's a simple premise but it really really works the world building that Jemison does in this when it comes to that is really well utilized here there are different factions there are different species there's what did i say 20 billion people living on this planet-wide city and so we get to see like different um different species we get to see how they interact with each other we get to see high society we get to see the slums and all of it is super compelling and really interesting not just to look at but to get invested in and for those of you who are fans of games like mass effect this is going to be right up your alley this has the same kind of feel as say the citadel from uh, Mass Effect 1 as the as Omega from Mass Effect 2. I would say this is kind of like a blend of both of those uh, both of those uh, civilizations and it's utilized really well. It's also very Mass Effect style storytelling. I'm a huge Mass Effect mark. I even played all the way through Mass Effect Andromeda. It was not a great game, but I played all the way through it and I beat it. And this game really takes a Mass Effect story and drops a Green Lantern right in the middle of it. And I really, really dig that. On top of all that, you have this underlying mystery and intrigue when it comes to not just 
uh, the city, not just this crime, which is the first crime they've had in over 500 years, but also the characters, this high council that is comprised of the leaders of each faction inside of the city are really interesting in the idea that, yeah, they've stripped away their emotions, but that doesn't make them, you know, better people. They're still, at the end of the day, willing to compromise their beliefs to make sure that their faction reigns supreme. And having Joe kind of caught in the middle of all that is really interesting, not just the fact that she is a Green Lantern, but all the mysteries that surround her as a Green Lantern. How is she a Green Lantern? Why is she a Green Lantern? When did she become a Green Lantern? What's up with her ring? Her ring is not a typical Green Lantern ring. Just from the visual of it, it looks different. It works different. Why is that? Is she even really a member of the Green Lantern Corps? All of that mystery wrapped up into that one character is so compelling to read through because you get this sense of, yeah, I'm rooting for this person, but I don't know the full story for this person. And that just makes any protagonist much more interesting in my eyes. Um... On top of that, you're getting that police procedural style storytelling where Joe, in the very first issue, has to solve the first murder in 500 years in this city. And from there, it just escalates to her going th down the rabbit hole and really experiencing the darker side of taking away emotions. It's really, really cool. I can't just i can't gush about this book enough and i think it's absolutely a book you need to pick up start off with number one and then make your way through the next issue that comes out for this book is number five of 12 that's right it is a limited maxi series which again is some of my favorite storytelling in comics just in general those 12 issue maxi series really gives you the room to tell an incredible story with a beginning a middle and end and issue five comes out today as of the release of this podcast. Um, of course, I'm recording this a little bit earlier, but as of today, which is uh, March 25th, when this episode drops, it will be coming out today. So you will hear me talk about the latest issue in our comics countdown. So go out and pick up this book. Do it. Um, and that's going to wrap up our list. Uh, to recap, at number five, we have Batman, written by James Tynan IV, with art currently by uh, George Jimenez. At number four, we have Hawkeye Freefall, uh, with Matthew Rosenberg writing and Otto Schmidt on art. Batman's next issue comes out on April 1st. Uh, it's number issue number 92. Uh, Hawkeye Freefall, their next issue comes out. It's number five of six on uh, April 15th. At number three, we have Deceased Unkillables. The next issue, which is the conclusion of the story, three of three, on uh, April 15th with the sequel Dead Planet. Their number one is coming out on June 10th. Daredevil is at number two. Their next issue comes out number 20 on April 1st. And Far Sector tops the list, written by uh, N.K. Jemison with art by Jamal Campbell. Uh, next issue, number 5 of 12, comes out today. So go pick it up. Pick up all of these comics. Pick up any of these comics. And feel free to let me know what comics you would put at your top 5. Feel free to reach out on Instagram or Twitter to at Pod. That's at P-O-D. Or through email, because I'm an old man and I read emails, to geeksplain at gmail.com. Overall, um, I think as long as you're reading comics, you're doing something right. But these are the top five comics that I think are the best of the best in the comics 
And I think you, especially in this time of uncertainty, this time of being kind of forced to stay at home, you would benefit from as a comic reader to pick up, catch up with, and enjoy. It is now time for the Wild Card Weekly Review, and I'm going to be honest, this one's a little little different from normal. I think to kick off Volume 3 of the podcast, we're going to do something a little different, and we're going to be reviewing not a television show, but a video game. I'm going to be reviewing for our next Wild Card Weekly Review the demo of Final Fantasy VII Remake. I played it over the past week, and... I, 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 I have to talk about it. I, I loved this. I really, really did. Um, I was, you know, more or less um, impressed by the trailers that I saw. Uh, Final Fantasy VII was the second Final Fantasy game that I ever played. And I loved it. I loved it when I first played it. I still love it today, but it had been a while since I'd played that game. And so I was really interested when they announced that following Kingdom Hearts 3, uh, Tetsuya Nomura was going to be diving headfirst into Final Fantasy VII Remake. And from what we saw from like trailers and little uh, gameplay uh, videos, like it looked interesting, but I didn't know how it would feel to play. Well, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, it was great. <laughs> the demo is available right now for free on the PlayStation Network, and it encompasses the first mission of the Final Fantasy VII game, of the original game, and it really is just a remake of the original Final Fantasy demo. Um, I don't know if you all played the original Final Fantasy demo growing up. I didn't, but it, from what I've heard, is the exact same uh, mission, the exact same gameplay, the exact same maps and boss of that original demo and i think that's so cool and such a great attention to detail uh the game is very different from the original final fantasy 7 it is not the classic uh turn-based combat that we are used to with classic final fantasy games and takes a lot more um I would say a lot more direction from games like Final Fantasy XIII, the most recent Final Fantasy XV, and that it is um, active combat. You are constantly fighting in real time. Uh, also definitely takes some, I would say, influences from Kingdom Hearts as well, especially uh, Kingdom Hearts III. It definitely, you can tell the influences that the two games had on each other. But overall, I think that it's a welcome change, and it kind of makes the idea that they are remaking this game more appealing in the fact that it's not going to be just the exact same game, the exact same way you play it, just with updated graphics. It's the same problem that I have with, you know, Lion King and Aladdin and all of these remade movies that just are the exact same film 
just with live action actors. Uh, this game actively is trying to give you new perspective and new ways to look at the events that you may either be fam very familiar with or might not be as familiar with. Uh, the entire first, the entire demo is basically the uh, the reactor mission from the opening of the game. Uh, you take the you take control of both Cloud and later on Barrett, and that's something that I think is really cool and something that kind of sets it apart from recent Final Fantasy games with the exception of the uh, the Royal Edition of Final Fantasy 15 in that from what I can tell you can play as your other party members you can switch between your party members on the fly uh, giving them orders giving them their uh, commands whether it's spells items whatever um, and most of it you're able to switch through at least with Cloud you're able to switch through his um his command styles, you're able to access limit breaks at the, you know, at the most dire points of the game. And really, it's just a, it's just a, it's a, it's a blast. It really is. Um, the initial cinematic that is the exact same as the original game, but updated for just beautiful beautiful playstation 4 graphics um the fanfare that plays with the dun, dun 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 like showing off the title it's so cool um i just i can't say enough good things about this game i was initially put off when they announced that the game would be an episodic format that the game that is releasing uh next month is going to be just episode one but after playing this, I think I'm definitely going to pick it up. I'm hyped. I'm really looking forward to picking this game up, and I think it's going to be something that I am going to get some enjoyment out of, especially now with all the like quarantine stuff going on, spending more time inside. I've been catching up on my video game obsession, and I am excited to add this to to the collection so i would definitely recommend it like i said if you are on playstation you can find it for free you can play the demo it's roughly around like half an hour to 40 minutes depending on how quickly you play through it but it is absolutely worth your time it is so fun and it really brought me back to my childhood playing through this game again so i would definitely recommend it and i think you should absolutely pick it up so that is going to do it for this week's wildcard weekly review next week we have our final wildcard weekly review before we jump back in to harley quinn with uh season two really excited and i'm really excited to put together one last wildcard weekly review for next week i'm not sure exactly what we're going to review but um i will have something up and if you would like to request me to review something uh for a final wildcard weekly review feel free to reach out on social media or through email and maybe i will choose it for our final wildcard weekly review have i said that enough wildcard weekly review <laughs> anyway uh we are now going to roll on to this week's comics countdown 
Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. We'll be talking about each book's title and creative team, as well as a brief synopsis of each book. And of course, every synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. If you have a synopsis voice you'd like me to try out for this segment, feel free to request that at Pod. That's at explain pod on twitter or instagram or through email because i'm an old man and i still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com but before we get into this week's books let's take a look back at last week's books with the geeksplained pick of the week of last week and i think it's pretty obvious my geeksplained pick of the week of last week was the robin 80th anniversary 100 page super spectacular number one um if nothing else just for the title alone <laughs> but honestly like the book was really great it's a great anthology story tackling every single robin with the exception of duke thomas who i still think is technically considered a robin and surprisingly enough uh carrie kelly was kind of left out of this as well but all of the main line robins were included here we had stories on dick grayson jason todd tim drake stephanie brown and damian wayne and all of them were great I loved the focus on Dick Grayson. He should get the most stories. I think he gets three total. Um, and they're all great. Because this really is the Dick Grayson 80th anniversary. It's not technically all of the Robins. But all of the stories were fantastic. Um, my personal favorites. I loved the uh, Grayson callback. I loved that uh, that story. I loved the Tim Drake story. Uh, the one that, it, that places him right prior to uh detective comics rebirth and overall there wasn't a bad story in all of them uh damian wayne's stories bring him back to uh super sun's prominence jason todd tells a very personal story which i really dug and even the stephanie brown story which mind you doesn't have a whole lot of substance is a fun story that really tackles uh one of the most underappreciated Robins of her day. So overall, it's a great comic. If you haven't picked it up, definitely check it out. I was able to snag the uh, 2010s variant that I that features all of the Robins on the cover. Really dug it. The book's great. You should check it out. But that's last week. Let's talk about this week. This week, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six books for you to check out out and let's start off with x-men number nine written by jonathan hickman with art by lanil francis Yu. this book's been great this just kicked off a new uh cosmic space arc where all of the cosmic space threats are coming to krakoa and they're gonna have to deal with this invasion really excited about it let's jump into the synopsis here the new mutants are back from space, and they've brought intergalactic trouble with them. The Brood, the Shi'ar, the Starjammers, and the Imperial Guard. So, I really liked the first issue, which was last issue of this arc, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it escalates from there. Next up, we have Legion of Superheroes, number 5, written by Brian Michael Bendis, with art by Ryan Sook and Travis Moore. This book has been 
great. I've been really enjoying it so far. This is probably, with the exception of uh, Batman Universe, this has probably been my favorite Bendis book, and it's really the one ongoing book that I am still enjoying. So I would definitely recommend picking this up. Let's jump into the synopsis here. DC's far-flung future is happening right now. With the secret of John Kent revealed, the Legion of Superheroes is united to save New Earth from those who would destroy it. Will Aquaman's lost trident be the key to New Earth's demise? Plus, Mon-El comes clean about his connection to John, and Cosmic Boy and Pharaoh Lad find out they both have a crush on the same Legionnaire. So this is really, it's teen storytelling, um, it's uh, all-ages storytelling, which is fun, and Monel is getting a spotlight in this issue, so you know I will definitely be picking this up. I'm a huge Monel mark, and I'm really excited to see what they do. Next up, we have X-Men Fantastic Four, number three of four, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Terry Dodson. This book's been really interesting. Um, I really like the way that they've taken this story as it kind of escalates having dr doom be involved is always a great time um having the attack on the x-men by the invisible fantastic four was also really cool and it's just it's a great mashup versus story which is steadily heading towards its conclusion with this issue so let's jump into the synopsis here A nation of mutants' lives is at stake when Franklin Richards makes a momentous decision. Will the Fantastic Four and X-Men just stand by and allow it to happen? So it's, again, it's really cool. Franklin Richards, I think, as the lone mutant in the Fantastic Four uh, family has always been kind of an underlying and underutilized um, story beat, and I'm glad that they're bringing it together at arguably the best point for both of these uh, factions to be warring. So next up, we have Batman Superman number eight, written by Joshua Williamson with art by Nick Darrington. I love this creative team, and I'm stoked for this issue. This is pitting Batman and Superman against Ra's al Ghul and Zod, and it's just been fantastic. The last issue had a great, great cliffhanger, and I'm looking forward to picking this up. So let's dive into the synopsis here. General Zod is on a mission to resurrect the bottle city of Kandor, and he's ready to obliterate anyone in his path. Deep within the ruins of an ancient temple, Ra's al Ghul's bid to save his Lazarus pits from Kryptonian chaos has brought the Dark Knight and the Man of Steel into a brawl neither expected or was prepared for. What can Batman and Superman possibly do to stop an army of Kandorian zombies? Find out in the conclusion of the epic... Kendor Compromise. So I I love this. I'm sad that it's just a two-issue arc for Nick Darrington, but I've been loving this book so far, and I'm really excited to pick up this issue. Next up, we have what I said in the main uh, course of this podcast is my number one book that I think you should be reading, and that is Far Sector, number 5 of 12. Written by N.K. Jemison with art by Jamal Campbell, this book's been fantastic. If you need me to reiterate why this book is so good, 
re-listen to the Far Sector segment in our main course. I love this book. It's my, it's probably my favorite DC book going on right now, and I, I'm so excited to pick up this next issue, especially with the synopsis that we're getting for it. So let's dive into that here. The mysteries of Sojourner Joe Mullane's origins and her recruitment into the Green Lantern Corps are finally revealed. Meanwhile, Joe's attempt to follow the money is complicated when she discovers the city enduring's form of cryptocurrency is mined by an underclass of artificial life forms. So it's an interesting story. I'm glad we're finally getting some background. We're going to get some answers on Joe's uh, origin. Really excited to check that out. And also, um, the next case that Joe is going to be undertaking. Really love this book. It's so good. Pick this up. But the big book of the week, the book that I think you should absolutely be picking up alongside Far Sector, is Curse of the White Knight number 8 of 8. The conclusion to the latest Batman White Knight story, written and illustrated by Sean Gordon Murphy. This book's just great. The first issue, as I've stated before, was not my favorite, but every issue has just been better and better and better, and this conclusion is going to be one for the ages for sure. So let's dive into the synopsis here. Witness the final battle of the two bats in this conclusion to the second installment of the White Knight Saga. After learning the truth about his name and fortune, Bruce Wayne has made a shocking public announcement in pursuit of redemption. But before he can secure Gotham's future and prosperity once and for all, he must protect the city in one last brutal showdown with Asriel. With Batman devastated by his shattered identity, and with little left to lose, there may be nothing left to stop him from abandoning his code and resorting to one unthinkable, desperate measure. So this book really has been about deconstructing who Batman is as a character. Really, uh, the White Knight saga in itself, the first uh, Batman White Knight as well as Curse of the White Knight has done that. But this book especially has been about breaking down not just Batman, but Bruce Wayne. And I am living for it. It's so good. Also, the complete revitalization and re uh I would say reconceptualization of Azrael as a character has been really, really cool. It brings a new life to that character that I think um, was sorely needed. And this showdown is going to be awesome. Batman versus Azbats. I've been waiting for this. I think all of us, when it was announced that Azrael would be the villain of this story, have been waiting for a Batman Azbats. Uh, showdown and it might not go the way that we all expect it to so i'm excited i'm definitely looking forward to picking this up and that's why it along with far sector number five of 12 is my big book of the week so to recap we have x-men number nine legion of superheroes number five x-men fantastic four number three of four batman superman number eight Far Sector number 5 of 12, and Batman, Curse of the White Knight number 8 of 8. But before we jump out of here, before we move on, we got a special request from listener Dante Barber on Instagram, who asked me to talk about a, uh, a trade that is coming out. Though, looking at it right now, I think it already did come out. I'm um, looking at the page for it from Dark Horse. It is a Dark Horse book, and it is entitled Machine Gun Wizards. The trade, which includes, let's see here, 
da, 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 includes the four-issue miniseries and features a sketchbook section and pinups by artists like Declan Shalvey, Ian Bertram, Tula Lote, and others, um, is really interesting. I'd never heard of this book, so thank you very much to Dante for uh, bringing it to my attention. And it is a trade that sounds really cool. It's written by Christian Ward with art by Sammy Cavella. And let's just, I'm going to show you the synopsis and we'll see what you think of this. Elliot Ness and his team of untouchables work overtime, taking on dangerous criminals that hide in the seedy underbelly of 1930s Chicago. Except in this world, Al Capone isn't dealing in alcohol, but in magic. With Lick, a drug that grants magical powers to anyone who ingests it, mobsters become wizards, ordinary men become monsters, and darker secrets than Ness can imagine lie at the heart of it all. So, honestly, this book was really cool. I picked up the first issue. Um, I just grabbed it from uh, Comixology, which I would recommend if you want to dive into this book, if you're not planning on picking up the uh, the trade. And it's, it's fantastic. It really is. The art is spectacular. The writing by Christian Ward is fantastic. And I just, I love it. It's really, really cool. It's a different story. I'm a sucker for Prohibition-era stories, and this bring really brings together the right amount of um, Prohibition mobsters crime stories with magic storytelling, and it's awesome. I absolutely recommend it. Um, if you are a fan of, like, say, the um, Fantastic Beast stories or the Fantastic Beast films that blend kind of that noir um, 1920s, 1930s trappings and pairing it with magic, you will absolutely love this, especially if you're a crime fan. So I would absolutely recommend this. Once again, thank you to Dante Barber for uh, recommending it to me on Instagram, and you can feel free to recommend me any comics that you would like me to feature on this podcast. On uh, social media, Instagram or Twitter, GeeksplainPod, or through email to geeksplain at gmail.com. And that is going to bring us to the final segment of this podcast, the wrap-up. This is a new segment that we're including with Volume 3. And uh, this is going to just kind of encompass everything that we've talked about, as well as talk about uh, listener mail, if we have any. We do not have any listener mail this week. But we do have a review on iTunes. So thank you very much to... Let me pull this up here. Thank you very much to CFireND on Apple Podcasts, who gave us a five-star review. Thank you very much. And if you would like to leave a five-star review, I will read it live here on the podcast. And CFireND's... Uh, review says, great content. Found Eric thanks to Matt Draper, one of my favorite episodes as well. Uh, love this guy's content. Don't agree with him on Rise of Skywalker, which is fair. We can agree to disagree. But even so, his opinions on other comic book and movie properties come off as well-informed and insightful. Really enjoyed his pitch it for Spider-Man. But that's enough praise for now. Definitely a great listen for anyone somewhat interested in superheroes or comics in general. So once again, thank you to CFireND for the review. Uh, once again, if you would like to leave a rating and review on iTunes, give us a five-star review, and we will absolutely read it on the podcast. Um, yeah, it really honestly uh, does help as well. The more five stars that we get, the better chance that we have to get into the orbit of listeners just like you. So yeah, thanks for that. Um, also, 
I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear from you guys how you feel about the comics that we talked about today. What's your personal top five comics that you're reading right now? Um, I would love to share that in the next wrap-up. I love talking to people about comics, whether they um, are talking about a comic that they love, like we got from Dante Barber, um, about... um, Machine Gun Wizards, or if it's just a comic that you really love that I disagree on. I would love to have those conversations with you. This is really kind of what the con what the podcast was built upon. It was conversations about comics, about film, about TV, about video games. And so I am really excited to continue this on. This is the first uh, episode of Volume 3. This is also Episode 101. We are officially in triple digits, and I cannot thank you all enough for um, just following us, subscribing to us on any podcasting platform of your choice and really just giving us the time of day. It really helps out, especially kind of in this time. Um, it's it's scary out there sometimes. I was, if you listen to our uh, 100th episode, which you absolutely should, features my pitch it for a Superman film. Uh, it's very near and dear to my heart. I said that I didn't know if I was going to take a week hiatus just to kind of take a break before we dove into volume three, but realizing over the last week that um, the self-quarantine life is real, uh, I think that podcasts, uh, films, really anything creative that you can share with the world helps with that escapism and that, you know, even if I can take you away from what you know, craziness is going on outside for, you know, 40, 50, an hour, half hour, uh, however many minutes I can take that away, then I think I'll have done my job. So once again, thank you for listening to us all the way through. I really do appreciate it. Tune in next week. We are going to be diving right into the month of April with a brand new episode of Geek Explained Podcast, episode 102, same geek time, same geek channel. And for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Zana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time.